Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. On Commons People this week, Boris Johnson can't go anywhere. So now it's, it's on Mr. Johnson. The Lib Dems surge in the polls. Let me be clear, there is no limit to my ambition for our party and our country. And the Tories and Labour gear up for party conferences. We're the only party that is offering people a choice. The Lib Dems have decided they're not going to support the idea of a referendum anymore. They're going to merely revoke Article 50, even though they supported a referendum in the first place. The Tories are hell-bent on taking us over a cliff edge. We're the only party offering that credible option. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week as ever is Paul War. Hi Arj. Hi Paul. Also with us is the former Labour advisor and Hope Not Hate campaigns director Matthew McGregor. Hello. Hi Matthew. And we've also got the chief executive of the moderate Tory think tank Bright Blue, Ryan Shorthouse. Hello. Hi Ryan. Well Boris Johnson has had another week of being shouted at wherever he goes. First on Monday, he was empty podiumed by Luxembourg's Prime Minister Xavier Bettel after he pulled out of a press conference to avoid anti-Brexit protesters. And then as he visited a hospital, he was confronted by an angry father who challenged the PM on the state of the NHS. Let's have a listen to the conversation between Johnson and Omar Salem, whose baby daughter was being treated at the hospital. The NHS has been destroyed. It's been destroyed. It's been destroyed. And now you come here for... A press opportunity. Well, actually, there's no press here. What do you mean there's no press here? Who are these people? Paul, how big a problem is this becoming for Boris Johnson? He seems to get heckled everywhere he goes. Well, I wrote last night about the fact that, yes, obviously, on one level, this is not really good at all because it it crystallises some of those key issues about Boris, whether or not you thought he was deliberately lying, whether or not you thought he got it, whether a member of the public, and more importantly than all of that, what's the state of the NHS? And if you can make the NHS a key campaign issue for Labour, um, and if there is another winter health crisis um, in November, December, who knows? But um, there's a sort of, there's, there's another bit about this, which is about What's it like to be on the stump as a campaigner and what you what you're prepared for? I mean, Matthew can go into this, I'm sure, about Ed Miliband. But um, when it comes to Boris, what's really, really striking about those last few incidents, whether it's Yorkshire, whether it's yesterday and the heckles and how he deals with everything, is that the old Boris, the City Hall Boris on the stump, was used to this kind of stuff. Um, he didn't have the baggage of the extreme division of the referendum in the background, fair enough. But the old Boris used to, at least on a personal level, 
empathise. And I think he's had an empathy bypass since he's been in number 10. <laughs> because, And that might be because the other person with a massive empathy bypass is Dominic Cummings. He simply does not engage with other people's point of view. It's, it's bulldozer politics. Um, and I think that seems to have rubbed off on Boris because that's the only explanation. The old Boris would have said in that situation, in that hospital, he would have said to the guy straight away, Sir, what's your name? What's your daughter's name? What's your problem? How did it happen? Can I take down your details? Is, can you talk to me about it? I don't care if the cameras are here or not. I, let's go and sit down about it. You can bring a camera, but let's sort this out. And who, I'll talk to the chief executive. I want to find out exactly what's happened. This matters to me. And that would have been really powerful. And that, as I say, is the old Boris. The current Boris just had this bizarre line about the cameras aren't here. Um, and... And in the process, then later in the day, number 10, Esprit d'Escalier, suddenly think, oh, this is the right thing we've got to say. We've got to rise above this, not talk about the fact this guy was a Labour supporter. They got the line right. They gave me a line. I tweeted it. It got thousands of retweets. Um, And then Boris himself tweets at the end of the day, you know, this is exactly what I want to be hearing. But that's all too late. At the time, why didn't Boris instantly engage? And as I say, my thesis is it's the... Cummings empathy bypass. I might be wrong. I disagree with that slightly. I don't think it's a lack of empathy. I think it's a lack of preparation. Uh, I think Boris, you know, likes to be liked um, uh, and, you know, is quite good at the sort of human connection. But, of course, being PM compared to being London mayor is much more exposing. It's much more gruelling. Uh, and you need to prepare not only for those types of scenarios, kind of go through it, what would you say, what's the sort of uh, thing that you fall back on. But equally, in speeches as well, that, you know, it's well drafted before you go over it several times. And the thing about Boris is that he's not a details person and he doesn't prepare. Um, And I think this may be a problem for him as time goes on, that the kind of bluffing Boris becomes more obvious um, to the electorate. And I think this is a problem with Conservative MPs as well, because Remember, a lot of Conservatives believe passionately in meritocracy. You do your homework, you get the good grades. And the thing which might grate a lot of them is that Boris doesn't do his homework uh, and they'll start to think, well, does he really deserve to be in that position if he's not going to be bothered to try and put in the hard work? Interesting. Matthew, how did you deal with stuff like this? I mean, being... Being a politician on the stump is hard even when there isn't confrontation. I was with Ed on the day that he ate a bacon sandwich. I mean, you say it out loud to an alien that came down on Earth and said there was this big, huge crisis in 2015 because a politician (laughs) ate a sandwich. It sounds absolutely ridiculous. It was simpler times. Um, But being out on the stump is hard. And I think that the problem for Boris is that he's... He's he's trying. For them, that visit was all about politics. It wasn't about the people. And I think, as Paul said, if he interacted with that father on a human level, it would have been a fantastic political moment in addition to being a good human moment. But he was trying too hard. And I think this is the thing. They want to make the NHS their issue. Dominic Cummings is all about trying to attack the other side's strengths. So they're trying to make the NHS um, a strength or, or at least reduce the um, the power of the NHS for, for Labour in advance of a general election. 
And the fact that they made that visit all about politics, all about the press opportunity, all about the, the numbers, you could see Boris, his answers weren't on a human level. His answers were, that's why we're putting money in. Same thing he said in Doncaster. Yes, I understand you're upset about austerity. That's why we're putting the money in, rather than engaging with people on a human level. Sometimes the best politics is just to try and be normal and engage people on an empathetic uh, level. And a lot of politicians are really, really good at that, away from the... Away from the um, uh, the cameras on that day that Ed Miliband ate his bacon sandwich that afternoon we were later uh, up the road in Lincoln for, for a, a different visit as part of the day and I watched Ed with no cameras there have an incredible conversation with staff in the Burger King where we'd stopped for a quick snack talking about apprenticeships talking about the uh, minimum wage living wage and I think when politi- politicians genuinely just care about the people they're talking to it can make for good politics too but that's got to be secondary people have an incredible uh, uh, ability to detect when politicians aren't on the up and up and sometimes i think it's just about listening more than talking and if you're interrupting someone who's quite upset uh, about something which is very personal i think that can grade actually just looking like you're listening and genuinely listening i think probably is is yeah. more effective there in is that the situation. flip side though i mean I, I wrote about this last night that actually away from that that clip that did go on the news there was another clip taken by a roofer or a contractor who worked at that hospital and showed boris leaving the hospital and he'd taken it on his phone this guy and they were saying good on your boris and you, you got the white man van vote and you got more importantly it's quite interesting you got afro-caribbean members of staff uh, who were working in the hospital all actually taking selfies with Boris. Now, there is a difference between celebrity and politician, of course, and some of the selfie taking is just, wow, it's Boris Johnson, isn't this funny? And kids will do it on that. I've seen, I've been on the stunt with Boris lots of times. You get an element of that, there's no question. But at the same time, in Yorkshire as well, um, people would be taking selfies with him. Northern voters, who you wouldn't imagine would be remotely interested in the Tories, are saying, good on your Boris. Now, that good on your Boris is quite powerful. The big question is, when you then say to them, well, how are you going to vote? They say, well, I'm a Labour voter. Yeah. It's, it's for Johnson, it's that big leap between good on your Boris and I'm going to vote Tory. I think that's a really important point. It is celebrity. And what people like about Boris was he was a different politician. But it's very, very hard to be a different politician and the prime minister. Not only have you got responsibilities, but there are, uh, there's a, uh, an aura of prime ministerialness. I don't know what the right word for that <laughs> is. But, you, you know, people, people's expectations of Johnson... Um, and the reality of him as prime minister will be different. We do uh, a lot of focus groups. And one of the things that came up a lot uh, in the groups we ran um, just after he became prime minister was people saying, well, I thought he was going to be funnier. You know, he's not, he, why, why, you know, I thought he was going to be, you know, his, twi- his tweets are rubbish now. They used to be really great. <laughs> and you sort of, you, it, it just strikes you that, you know, people want from him something that is other than being the prime minister. But don't you think at the same thing. time, though, Matthew, that actually that proves he's at least he gets it he knows he can't be the clown he's got to be prime ministerial and in a way yeah he might be dull but actually if he's dull and doesn't make mistakes if he's dull and connects with voters that could be quite powerful and it's just making sure he's got both because actually he has done fewer gaffes i mean the tory leadership campaign was full of the old boris the, the sort of jokey boris mm. um but actually since then he's, he's, he's dropped the gags he's tried to be serious but where he's where he's come a cropper is where he's not engaged with public who's then been critical of him I mean, it's interesting uh, you talked about sort of the white van man. I mean, that's the kind of coming strategy, which is almost Nick Timothy 2.0. Use Brexit as a way of aligning people in traditional working class areas, particularly in the north of the Midlands, to the Tory party. Um, 
And of course, you know, that did work to some extent. Seats like Mansfield and North East Derbyshire, which have long been Labour, went Tory. But the question is, you know, to get that majority, you need to go above and beyond that. Uh, And I've seen polling which suggests that, you know, I think it's only about 12% of Labour voters with a strong Leave identity would even consider voting Tory. Not a definite, but even consider it. So the kind of what happened, particularly in the 80s, around the kind of uh, demolition of mining communities, there's still a strong feeling that that didn't work for the Tories. Uh, Sorry, that that was the Tories' fault. And of course, the other thing is, it's a bit of a zero-sum game. So you push heavily kind of into the north and the midlands, you kind of expose your other flank, which is in more liberal urban areas. Uh, And we saw that again in the 2017 election, losing seats like Canterbury. And I do worry about this hardball approach, which is that, you know, there is people of my generation, millennials, who voted overwhelmingly for Remain, uh, grew up in the kind of, uh, well, came to the labour market uh, during the financial crisis and now maybe having to pick up as they kind of go into leadership roles, uh, looking to buy a house, start a family, they may have to deal with huge economic disruption caused by no deal. So I, I do worry for the Tories that politically they may lose a lot of millennials because of Brexit in just in the same way that they lost a lot of working class voters because of what happened uh, with the mining communities in the 80s, that as these millennials get older, it won't just be, well, I've got a house now, I've got a better job, I'm going to vote for Tory. It may be a cohort effect that they remember Brexit and it sticks uh, and that's a real problem for the If Tories. there's no deal, yeah. If there, is a, if there is a deal, different, I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows? They've presented some ideas on non-paper this yeah, morning. Yeah, that, that was funny. <laughs> Whatever that means. Do you know what that means, anyone? Non-paper? You heard that one? It's Sounds not like quite... my excuse when I hadn't done my homework. <laughs> I've done the homework, it's exactly. just on a non-paper. <laughs> Ned's writing up a non-story on it now, uh, on a non-website. Anyway, you've, we've kind of touched on it here, but this week we've had the Liberal Democrat Conference, which featured another Tory defection as David Cameron's former PPS Sam Gimas, which sides to join the party. And meanwhile, leader Joe Swinson's pledge to simply stop Brexit without a second referendum if the Lib Dems somehow ever won a majority appears to be paying off in the polls. Let's hear Labour MP Lucy Powell rehearsing some likely attack lines for an election campaign fighting the Lib Dems. I think all the surges, I mean, Brexit is having a huge impact on the main political parties, Labour and the Conservatives, because we, you know, we seek to represent the whole country and leave voters and remain voters. It's very difficult. But I think history shows us, I mean, the European elections recently were a single issue election that there was little consequence to, that when it comes to choosing a future government, you know, many Labour voters that I speak to remember what the Lib Dems did before when they went into government with the Conservative Party and they authored austerity and, and all the cuts that are now wreaking absolute havoc in our community. Paul, how worried should Labour be about the Lib Dems? Well, it comes back to this point about whether or not we get a deal, to be honest. I think that would that was, it's going to change everyone's view of the election um if there's a deal i think the lib dems are really at risk of getting exposed on brexit is all you stand against um because labor is definitely going to pile into the you architects of austerity that you know you can i mean you see it every day some of it's fair some of it's unfair um and so if there's a deal, I think it's going to be quite tricky. Um, you, you have to ha- ask yourself, what have they got left then? Well, you've got a young female leader. That still counts for a lot, who talks like 
the millennials and and others and young parents that are you know in the electorate, whereas Boris and Corbyn, you know, don't exactly look or sound like them. Um, so you've got a bit of identity politics for their leader. Um, but beyond that, what else have you got? Tony Blair this morning was talking about some sort of big realignment of politics that could happen. We can talk about that. But um, if there's a deal, I think a lot of that's more difficult. If there's no deal, I think Ryan's right. You're in danger of a sort of a whole generation thinking, well, the Tories' reputation for competence and for, you know, pragmatism. Both of those winning assets could be blown up overnight if there's no deal. Um so it's it's going to be, the the libs it will rely on that I think w- whether we get a deal or not. Well, let's let's just talk about that. Do, do, do you think? I think we all assume that Boris Johnson will come back from Brussels with something, something because he has to. That's his only. That's his first, most obvious route to delivering on his October thirty first pledge. Do you think there's a majority for the kind of thing we're talking about in Parliament? Right? I think it's doubtful. Um, because, I mean, there's talk of having a kind of all-island zone on things like agricultural goods, foodstuffs and things like that. I mean, you know, there's been some rumours that the DUP are coming round on that, but the idea that there's a difference between uh, Great Britain and Northern Ireland in any kind of regulatory environment, you know, the DUP will block that. Um, So, you know, any movement to replace the current backstop which goes in that direction, I don't think the DUP will support and they are obviously critical to getting the majority. But if we get the current deal in kind of Theresa May's deal um, and the backstop may be slightly modified, I don't think there'll be enough Labour MPs and indeed Tory rebels to support it. So I'm very doubtful about a deal, unfortunately, because I think that probably is the best route morally uh, and politically for the country and for the Conservative Party. Uh, to get a deal, but I, I do worry. So that brings us back to the Lib Dems, which is I think they've played a very clever move by being very decisive in saying that we're going to stop Brexit. I think the public mood at the moment is very much we're exasperated with this. We just want it done. Uh, and rightly or wrongly, it's framed as, well, deal or no deal by October the 31st, that will get it done. Of course, there's going to be loads of negotiations after that. Um, so it's not over, but nonetheless, the Tories are presenting as that. And of course, actually, the real this is all over is the Lib Dem position because they will just cancel it all and then we will really get a, a, an end to it. Um, and, you know, some people say, well, this isn't very democratic. But of course, if they secure a majority and you do get a kind of whopping change from their current seat number to a majority, then I don't think anyone will really kind of be sceptical about the democratic mandate that they have to stop it. And I think the problem for Labour here is that they are, you know, the public, we're basically at a showdown stage on Brexit. Uh, and Jeremy Corbyn's still in kind of mediation stage when we're actually in the courtroom, literally on Brexit. It's so divisive and kind of trying to play to both sides in an upcoming election, which will be entirely about Brexit. I'm not sure that that will work. Yeah, I think the the problem for Labour is a, is a, is a political problem in that um, they, they cannot afford to lose the voters they are losing to the Lib Dems at the moment. And Labour's problem is they've kind of brought some discussion points to a knife fight. The Lib Dems have got a very, very strident view. Boris has got a very, very... Str- Johnson has got a very, very strident view. Uh, and and Labour is kind of, you know... Well, remember. well let, me, let me talk you through this. And, you know, it's OK if you can get people to sit down and listen to your sort of thoughtful two-and-a-half-minute uh, explanation of a policy. Unfortunately, that's not how politics actually uh, uh, works. And it is a problem for Labour. They, 
won't necessarily lose a lot of seats to the Lib Dems. But, you know, polling we've done suggests that of Labour's 2017 vote, uh, 6% have gone to the Tories and 20% have gone to the Lib Dems. Only 4% have gone to the Brexit party. So in terms of the differential loss of, of Labour's vote, you know, they, they did poll 40%. They're now down on anywhere in the low 20s. That vote has very, very disproportionately gone to the Liberal Democrats over this issue. And so it, it is a real challenge. I mean, I think there is a, there is a slight cheekiness in the Liberal Democrat position. Obviously, you know, yes, if they got a majority, they could uh, do whatever they like. But, you know, uh, it's a big if. Um, I, I wonder if it's actually partly about a negotiating position for uh, a, a future minority uh, Labour government or a coalition uh, government in the next in the next parliament that they want to set out a very strident view. It's kind of got the double win of uh, helping them uh, wedge Labour voters away and also uh, put them in a strong uh, bargaining position for post-election talks. Well, what would be the, the so they're trying to move the middle ground, but what would that middle ground be in post-election talks? Well, I, I mean, Labour's position, bear with me while I talk this. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get on to that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, they want they want to move Labour as, as, as far away from this whole kind of like, we'll go back and have new talks and there'll be a new Brexit deal and, you know, and so on and so forth, as close as possible to a, a, a new Remain referendum. And um, I, I think that that is a challenge for Labour and Labour's position um, isn't, isn't clear enough. On the issue of whether there's going to be a deal or not, I think... That is the the key question for the parliamentary vote, and exactly the nature of the deal is key for where, how many Labour votes you can get. There are a small number of Labour MPs who really just want to vote for anything now. They are, they are itching to vote for almost any deal that's put on the table that, that isn't no deal. Um, but there are other Labour MPs who have been very, very thoughtful and consistent the whole way through these talks uh, uh, and, and votes about the kind of deal they want to see. Um, but and, and I don't think they would vote for anything other than the deal that they have they have set out for. But there is one thing that is really interesting. Um, I saw a, a, a journalist tweeting yesterday about a, a possible kind of poison pill within the deal that Br- Boris can bring back from uh, uh, Brussels that says the EU and the UK will agree on a deal, uh, and there will be no further talks. In effect, making it <coughs> uh, uh, clear cut that it is this deal or no deal. There'll be no further extension. The Ben law won't come into play. And MPs will have an absolutely clear-cut choice between the deal that has been agreed between Boris and, uh, and the, the rest of the EU and no deal. In that circumstance, I think you'll see an absolute stampede of Labour MPs. How does that work without the... How does the Ben bill not come into effect? If, if the, e, the, the Ben bill requires extension. the government to ask for an extension, yeah. if the EU says publicly in a credible way there will be no further extensions is this deal or no deal I think you'll see a stampede of MPs for that and don't forget though everyone forgets that don't forget one of the conditions for this current extension which you can't reopen the withdrawal agreement everyone's forgetting this you know why are we forgetting it Boris is actually trying to say to the EU look can you tear all that up, please? They're, they're very conditioned that you, you agreed to extend in the first place. It's no wonder people like Macron say, hold on a sec, you know, you're, you're breaking the rules. But anyway, that's a minor point. I think in terms of the Lib Dems, I think what's interesting, we had, we had Jo Swinson on this very podcast um, in her office yeah. a few weeks ago. And we, asked, and we asked at this point, what would happen if Brexit happens? What happens to your position on Brexit? And 
she danced around it, but I've, I've dug out the quote, and the quote is really interesting. She said, actually, um, no one's going to pretend that my party's not pro-European, even after Brexit, even after we've left. And, of course, there'll be lots of things that we still need to sort out, you know, as Ryan and, and Matthew were saying, you know, that it, even if it's no deal, there's lots of things you still need to negotiate. So we will still be in a lot of negotiation with Europe, even after we've left. And she said that negotiation will involve things like trade, it will things, involve things like how we've got a strong presence in different European capitals and then she said all of which might put us in a position to rejoin now i just replayed that tape yesterday and it was the first time she hasn't said it since she certainly has not said it this week but there's a grain of an idea that the lib dems could be the rejoin party and i think that could sound so nuts personally if because of the cost the rebate and everything else but maybe they're just thinking we really need this strong definition and it maybe it's a negotiating tactic for them now it is, of course, that beautiful time of year again when Westminster decamps to the seaside in the north for two weeks to attend the Labour and Tory party conferences. Brexit is likely to dominate both events, with Jeremy Corbyn especially expected to come under pressure to explicitly back remaining in the EU. Let's have a listen to the Labour leader explaining his current Brexit position. Labour will do everything to prevent a no-deal exit from the European Union. That is our first priority. After that... We want a general election so the people of this country can decide their future. Do they want a government that invests, that ends austerity, that uh, deals with the grotesque levels of inequality and poverty in Britain? And they will get the chance for a public vote under a Labour government between Remain and a credible option which we will negotiate with the European Union. Is Tom Watson wrong then? Should you be going for the referendum first? It's Tom's view. I don't accept it and I don't agree with it. Paul, there was a bit of confusion over Corbyn's Brexit position this week, wasn't there? Um, is this going to be the big issue of Labour's conference? The leadership clearly don't want it to be the big issue. I suspect, given last year's very, very lengthy compensating meeting, which I had the joy to sit outside for several hours, um, uh, that given that, that a lot of the heavy lifting was done there. The, the party position was significantly moved on by some skillful drafting by Keir Starmer and the unions, um, or some of the unions. I can't see us getting that position again this time. I think it will be a much more classic fudge. Um, it won't be anything sk- s- significant, I don't think, in the in conference. They want to calm it down. Climate change, obviously, is another big issue, um, which has got more motions down for it and pushing them really hard on a, a tougher target. We can talk about that if you like. But, but in terms of Brexit, um, I think they're going to try and draw the poison a bit. Yeah, you'll get people kicking off. But for me, I'm, I'm going to say something controversial now. I think actually Jeremy Corbyn's position can be simple. The simple Jeremy Corbyn position, which he's not articulated, is this. In, an election ca- in a referendum campaign, Jeremy Corbyn says, I want us to stay in the European Union. I want us to remain. But if you disagree with me, I want to make damn sure there's no damage to the country. So I'm going to give you, as a credible, um, you know, uh, a statesmanlike act, I'm going to make sure that whatever Brexit you want we're going to, is going to be the best one possible for jobs and for livelihoods. What's so wrong with that? You could easily say, it's just he's not very good at saying it. So start off by saying, yes, I want us to stay in the European Union. It's the best outcome. But the second best outcome would be a Brexit that helps jobs. It was so hard. I mean, they're making it sound hard, and that might reassure those Leave voters if if they are flirting with other parties in Northern Seas. But it would also send to Remainers, look, actually, there's two extremes on either side here. I'm in the middle ground. Um, I'm going to 
you know where I stand on, on Remain. I want us to remain. If I can't get that, I'm just doing the sensible thing. Tony Blair would have done it. I think it would be very difficult, though, for Labour to spend so much government effort and resource on trying to secure a deal with the EU uh, and then coming back and saying, actually, you know, this isn't the preferred option. You should just go for Remain. I think people would see it as wasteful and slightly odd that the Labour Party spent so much time doing that and then came back and said, well, actually, this isn't the preferred option. I mean, that hasn't been done historically. You've had, you know, examples of sort of neutrality in the beginning, but then in the end, the government, like with Cameron, the government does sort of get behind. Uh, oh, he would have to do that. He'd have to deal. get behind Remain. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's a way of doing it. I mean, I, th- I think there's two different things going on here. There's the kind of internal party management and then there's uh, what we do on the doorstep. And I guess the third of you know, what we would actually do in government, Labour would do in government. On the, on the mood music, I think that Remainers are at risk of getting in their own way uh, here. That, like, as Paul says... Uh, the Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party have moved a tremendously long way. I think most voters will uh, come out of Labour Party conference to the extent that they will pay any attention, hearing that Labour's back to second referendum. Um, they, if they've heard more, they'll probably hear Gen- General Keir Starmer, Emily Thornberry, John McDonald, Diane Abbott. I mean, the list goes on and on of people saying they would back Remain. And they won't really get into the minutiae. And I think it's important for, for those people who want uh, either a soft Brexit or to Remain to not get in their own way on this. There is a different issue, which is um, what do you say on the doorstep? And you know, people like Emily Thornberry have, have really struggled because it is a convoluted um, uh, a policy to explain this on TV, let alone on, on the doorstep. Uh, there's a different thing, which I think isn't really being talked about, which is this idea that the referendum would be between Labour's deal, uh, effectively the softest kind of Brexit that anyone's really talked about versus Remain. And that that just isn't a a, a credible referendum to most people in this country. Farage would run an active boycott campaign. I think you'd find most, lots of Conservatives just sitting out that that referendum. The reason to have a referendum is to try and over, you know, to say, well, look, we've come over to the three years. There's no good deal. Actually, the best deal is staying in. Let's stay in and give that decision legitimacy. But if the referendum is to, in the eyes of a lot of people, cooked from the start, it won't give it the legitimacy and this issue will go on and on. So I think there does need to be some form of um, leave option that leavers would consider uh, credible in a referendum. Otherwise, Labour in government or in a coalition government, I think, would really struggle to put this issue to bed. Just coming back to the second referendum report, I've noticed there are some Tories who are increasingly pushing this, like Oliver Letwin and George Osborne. And I think the point has always been that you know, the current impasse that we have on Brexit is because Parliament can't find a way forward. So you need some kind of public vote to break that. I think the Leavers have always favoured an election because in effect, in in that scenario, Jeremy Corbyn becomes a figurehead for Remain, perhaps something which he doesn't want to do, but of course is forced into it. And there's a lot of uh, Remain voting people, particularly in the South and middle class backgrounds, who would be very, very uh, um, sort of anti-voting for Jeremy Corbyn. Whereas the Remainers have always felt, actually, you know, if you just have a clean fight between maybe no deal and no Brexit, then you don't have the kind of Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn sort of factors into play. It's just one or the other. Um and, you know, can it be, can you convince people like Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson to vote for that second referendum? Well, I think Dominic has written before that, you know, bring on a second referendum because I think we'd win it 
by more than last time because we just say, look at all of these liberal elite Ramonas stopping you ordinary people from having your say. Um, so it could be that a second referendum, you know, if there's a feeling they can't get an election, they can't do anything else, then maybe they'll just say, well, come on, bring on the fight. Yeah, I think Dominic's view is by any means necessary. And if uh, it came down to it that MPs would only really be willing to vote for a deal or, or for some kind of Brexit with a kind of Kyle Wilson referendum attached to it, I think they would be absolutely um, bring it on. And I think that that's some Conservative MPs are moving there. I get the sense from some Labour MPs that um, they're moving towards, you know, wanting a, a deal, but uh, also accepting a referendum if that's what is required to go along with it. Overwhelmingly, voters on both sides, the research that we've done, both polling and focus groups, is get it over and done with. People are absolutely sick of it. Even if the outcome doesn't align with what they personally want, they're willing to pay the price just to get it done and back onto normal issues. Everyone is pretty fed up of talking about it. I wonder whether, I mean, Matthew made a really good point about the no dealers. There's a lot of people out there, including Labour voters, who just want it done with in terms of a no deal. Let's get out now. We Mm. don't need a deal. I wonder if you, could you possibly, could the Electoral Commission come up with a two-stage referendum where you could say, you're in, or you're out. And if you're out, which out do you want? Do you want Jeremy Corbyn's deal that he's just crafted? Or do you want no deal? And maybe that's the solution. I don't know. Let me need to look at. But the other point is, um, but, if, there is Paul, no, if there is no general election, if, if there is a deal, we can talk about that later. But um, There's I'll, no such thing as no deal, is there? <laughs> well, no. As Anand would say. Yeah. As Anand would absolutely say. Yeah. No, but the, for me, politically speaking, what's interesting is if, for example, there is a deal... We talked about the Lib Dems before, what it would do to them. What would it do to Labour? On the one hand, it frees Corbyn of this huge albatross, this real row of what does he does he not think? You know, it's sorted. He can move on to austerity, his strongest cards. He can talk about the NHS. He can really push what he really wants to. And a lot of the leadership, are, you know, that's the reason they want this done, let's be honest. Um, so on the one hand, it's good for Labour if a deal is done. On the other hand, what happens to those Brexit party voters um, if a deal is done? And that's, I, I don't know, there were some really conflicting opinions about this. Some people suggest that actually the Brexit party will, because of it looks like May's deal, Farage will say, look, they, they betrayed you again. It's not real Brexit. It's Brexit in name only. They betrayed you and that it'll pick up votes in the general election. I personally think that actually, and again, this might be a minority view, I think the Brexit party would die the moment that deal is signed. Because the only thing that matters to people out there is not the backstop, which they don't understand. It's not Canada Plus. It's not Norway. It's not Customs Union. They don't know what any of these things are. question is, are we in? Are we out? And if we're out, I think that's so powerful. How can you accuse Johnson of betraying anything if he's just got you out of the European Union? I sympathise with Paul there. I think I think that's correct. And you look at what happened to UKIP after the referendum. They just, you know, their identity... You know, it, it went. And I think that would be the same with the Brexit party. Although, you know, Nigel Farage would call cries of betrayal. But I think the issue would be resolved in many voters' eyes. So they'd have to look for another identity beyond Brexit, which is going to be very difficult for a party that is named the Brexit party. Um, Ryan, I just wanted to ask you quickly um, about Tory conference. How big a test is that going to be for Boris Johnson? It's sort of his home crowd, really, isn't it? It's his home crowd, and I think you know the the um, membership voted overwhelmingly for Boris Johnson against Jeremy Hunt. So I don't think it's going to be difficult. I think what you'll see is sort of pushes to talk about domestic 
reform. Uh, and, you know, the kind of three priorities that Dominic Cummings bangs on about. One is, you know, focus on the NHS and increased investment. Second is tax cuts for the lowest paid, uh, thinking particularly about cost of living issues. And there is a lot of talk about, you know, looking for big uh, radical ideas at the moment to try and reduce the cost of living for people on low incomes. That's something I think you may see more of at conference. And then thirdly, stuff around uh, a kind of points-based immigration system. Uh, and I said those three things. I think the fourth thing is kind of a tough approach on law and order, um, uh, which is w- what you'll see. I-, I mean, interestingly, again, why I said it was a kind of Nick Timothy 2.0, Theresa May always talked about the end of austerity and having a new fiscal approach, uh, which was uh, about spending more dosh, particularly on key public services. Um, so the rhetoric there was from Theresa May, but of course the stop there was the Chancellor, Philip Hammond, who was always, you know, very dry on um, fiscal matters. Interestingly, I think Sajid was definitely on board to begin with, but the tensions have grown not only on personnel matters, but also the idea that uh, Boris is going definitely on a spending splurge. Uh, and as Chancellor, I suppose you naturally automatically kind of go on to the sort of conservative bit on fiscal policy, which is we shouldn't be spending willy nilly. Um, so uh, it will be interesting. I think you will see some more tension appearing between number 10 and 11 because Dominic just wants, you know, Dominic doesn't care about fiscal discipline. He cares about winning over voters in traditional working class areas. And he thinks the key to that is spending more on key public services. Um, But I think that will expose a tension in the party because there's a lot who think, you know, actually the Tory party shouldn't be abandoning fiscal discipline. If you don't bang on about fiscal discipline, voters think, well, what's the point in voting for the Tory party? You know, if we need the economy sorting out, we do need to make difficult choices on spending, we go to the Tory party. If there's nobody making that case, then the kind of reasons for voting conservatism in the future are kind of lessened, I think. Well, it's like you don't, you, you prefer full fat Coke to, to diet Coke. I mean, you have the full fat Corbyn anti-posterity, yeah. wouldn't you? Um, splurge as much as you like, 500 billion here, 500 billion there. Um, so that's Tricky, but we were at the Treasury last night, Paul. And interestingly, I was speaking to uh, certain senior people, certain senior people at the Treasury. Yeah, who were saying that actually he thinks voters will understand that the Tories are spending money responsibly, whereas Labour are just splurging. I mean, that's the problem. Is a lot quite often in politics we get caught up in the details and what does this what does this minutiae say about the different parties? On the whole, people think that the Conservatives are better at spending money. On the whole, people think that Labour are better at public services uh, and cost of living and those kind of things. And you can try and you know Dominic is trying to nibble around the edges and uh, Labour. You know, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown tried to nibble around the edges, but ultimately, I think that boils down to that. So that allows the Conservatives to spend more money because people kind of trust them a little bit more. But they need to do that because they don't trust them with the with the public services. So, I mean, for for for, for Boris at the uh, Boris Johnson at the Conservative Party conference uh, last year set the standards quite low. As long as the stage doesn't fall apart, he's at least <laughs> done better than, than than Theresa May did. But I also he's not that good at. Um, public speaking in those kinds of um, uh, environments. He's much better at the off the cuff, you know, running around making wry remarks and and so on. And I I do wonder if the uh, expectations and failing to meet them uh, could cause them a bit of a a stumble. Yeah, but it was going to be an election um, party conference for everyone. I mean, you know, for Labour and for the Tories. 
and getting those key sound bites on the 10 o'clock news is going to be absolutely crucial. Yeah, Boris does ramble around, but my God, it, uh, surely he's going to come up with some decent sound bites for those 10 o'clock news. I think this is one of the things about the recent uh, uh, gaffes and, and confrontations he's had with the, with the public is that ultimately on the 10 o'clock news, people have seen Boris Johnson at a hospital. That's they saw the Boris Johnson yeah. hanging out with loads of exactly. uh, police recruits. So uh, it, it is very funny for, to see him stumble so badly in these situations. But I think that's not necessarily a total net negative to the operation. And well, it's true that that's one of his biggest assets is being seen to do things. I, we, I talked to um, Deborah Mattinson. I used to do focus groups for Gordon Brown and still does lots of focus groups. And she said the overwhelming um, negatives for Corbyn, the reason he's got such a massive negative personal rating is not necessarily because of his extremism. It's because he's not doing anything. He's seen as just being a nothing. Um, and that is really, really damaging. Yeah, we we, uh, we asked about um, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party in some groups we ran recently. And I, just to find out if people had heard about it, do they understand it, what's going on? And it was quite surprising. The level of understanding there was was very high. But what people, what made people so angry was that there had been no action. People weren't sort of, you know, they're, they're wrong-uns in every party kind of uh, attitude, but consistently across every single group, the phrase that kept being repeated is, why didn't you just nip it in the bud? Why, you know, why don't you just do something about it? He's not like that, is he? So why don't you just nip it in the bud? And I think that's exactly right. Across a range of issues, people see a very, um, you know, decisive and like driving things forward, even if, it, even if the ride is a bit rickety uh, with Johnson and they're not getting that uh, as much from Corbyn. But... That's what people thought going into the 2017 short campaign. <laughs> That's and true. I, I, you know, if, if we get the 2018 Jeremy Corbyn in the next general election, I think Labour could be in trouble. But if we get the 2017 Jeremy Corbyn in the next general election, I think the electorate is very, very volatile. There are lots of people who are undecided and people's um, uh, uh, opinion about who they're going to vote for is, is fairly shallow. So it could be pretty volatile. So which Jeremy Corbyn turns up, I think is going to make a big difference. Right, we must crack on. It's time for the quiz. Yay! And this week's edition well, is on David Cameron. Oh my God. He's been everywhere this week promoting his memoir, so plenty to talk about. Kind of easy one to start with. Um, just just, just pipe in whenever you want. Um, before entering politics, what was David Cameron's job? PR for Carlton. Correct. Top trivia about that. I had a flat in St Martin's Lane that overlooked David Cameron's Ooh, office. St Martin's Lane, very in nice. In Carlton TV. There we Fair go. Enough. It's a cheap flat. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice did you did you see him? I didn't work. see him do no. any sort of selfies or you know. It was way before you know yeah. Angry Birds or anything. Sadly, but um, um, yeah, a young Cooth David Cameron. I used to live next to where he worked. Interesting. Top trivia. <laughs> <laughs> right. Question number two. What were Cameron's final words in the Commons as Prime Minister? Oh, uh, I was the future once. Correct. Yes. Very good. Oh, gosh. Yeah, uh, a neat echo of his opening barb to Tony Blair when he became yeah. Tory leader mm. at PMQ. So he said, um, Blair was the future once. Yeah. And it's quite nice, that, wasn't it? Good, good, yeah. Yeah. Um, last question. Which English king did Cameron descend from? Ooh, oh, this was on... Gosh. Was this on Who Do You Think You Are? There was someone did a... Oh, did someone else do it? Oh, I know. Um... Ah, uh, the one that came after George. I think it's it's just before Queen Victoria. Who is who was the one before Queen Victoria? George the fourth. I think it's George the fourth. No, anyone else? Duke of Clarence. I'm sure it's Duke of Clarence. 
I don't know why. Give us I've a clue. Got Henry the Second in my head. It's like the most it's lesser. The fourth. But it's not George. The William the Fourth. Yes. William the William Fourth. fourth. Dumb. That's Matthew the one. Wins the quiz. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> What's the prize? Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests, and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday. And get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash war hyphen zone or follow the link in the episode notes. We'll just leave you with David Cameron sharing his thoughts on the Vote Leave campaign in an interview with This Morning. Because of the lie Believe you were me, told I did more than... Uh, I shat at the... I shat at the TV. We all did. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.